Good morning, Gateway. We can start making our way in. I know we've got a lot coming from the other building. It's good to see everyone this morning. I'd like to welcome everybody watching us from home. Glad you're here with us. For those visiting us this morning, so glad you're here to be worshiping with us this morning. Just have a few announcements before we get started. Some things happening in the life of our body over the next few weeks. Men, Tuesday, August 10th at 6 p.m., we get to enjoy a time over at Pastor Grady's house for a men's cookout and game night. Um, we're going to have a time of fellowship over some cornhole and bocce and some good grubs. So I just want to make you aware. Um, details and registration on our blog at gatewaybaptist.com. Uh, we're doing that just so we know how much food to bring uh, to make. So no cost, but just if you can please get online and register just so we know how much we uh, need to buy for food to enjoy our time there with Pastor Grady. The very next night, Wednesday, August 11th, uh, we have another year we get to serve Capitol Heights Middle School with a service project. Excited about this at 5.30 p.m. We have an opportunity to do some yard work, spread out some pine straw, um, do some prayer walking around the campus, pick up trash. So it's going to be a great opportunity. The youth group comes, children can come. We get to enjoy our time together of serving uh, Capitol Heights. There will be Chick-fil-A. Woo-hoo! God's anointed food. Um, so we also want registration for two reasons. One, so we know how much Chick-fil-A to get. Number two, we want an opportunity to see how many people register so we know how we can strategically place people around the campus to do those different things. So uh, registration and details are also online. Lastly, very excited. In the next couple of weeks, uh, Wednesday evenings resume for the fall schedule on the 18th of August. Uh, there will be a men's book study. Uh, men, we can gather together. Uh, we're doing a book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. Uh, the ladies will have a Bible study led by Miss Karen Fowler. Um, they're going to be going through a John 15 study called Abide in Him. So ladies, if you're, we'd love to encourage you to be a part of that with Karen. Also, there will be a life group that night. The youth group are going to continue to meet. The college life group is rerouting to Wednesday nights. So they'll be meeting at the Rotabex um, on Wednesday nights at that point. So all this information will be on the blog again this week to get those details. All right, I'm looking around. I need Molly Moore. It's going to come up and give us a wonderful little update on the kids. Hello, good morning. Um, just a reminder, we are finishing up VBS. So today and next Sunday, we have Vacation Bible School going on. And anybody that comes in late, any kids that want to come over, feel free to bring them over there. Even last Sunday will be great. You'll, there'll be something to learn. Um, the other reason I'm up here... Actually, I think I've been the children's director for four, five years, something like that, officially. Um, and I've never stood here and asked for help with for volunteers. I've done, we've prayed over the directory, we've done so many different things, and God has always filled every need. So there's no doubt that again will happen. However, we are in an amazing situation right now with so many children. We have five rooms back there. I'm about to open up the sixth one. Right now, we have at least 42 kids back there. There are probably more now. I'm talking about preschoolers. I'm talking about babies through kindergarten. At least 40-something, 40 40-plus 40 are back there right now, and we are bursting at the seams. And we really, really, really want these babies to feel happy here and to be safe and protected and I know a lot of these times when you start hearing this, you kind of tune out and go, that is not me. 
But if you like kids, it's you because I, I just need some extra hands. And there's a volunteer application on the website you can go straight to. We do background checks. We're very cautious in how we take care of it, but we do need help. But I also want to add one more thing. If you are here and you are contributing to that nursery and providing children, there is no pressure for young parents to serve in that way because I really think the rest of us who have gone past that really need to take some, or before that, need to take some time to serve these young parents so that they can enjoy being in the service. So please pray about this. Really give it some thought and pray about if you could serve. There are many opportunities. Some involve preparation, some none, except just to be here and love the baby. So I do need your help. I ask that you'll pray about it and that you'll contact me or Grady and we'll get things moving. Thank you. Thanks, Molly. That is, it is a great problem to have when the preschool is bursting at the seams back there, as, as are the older kids as well. We are grateful. The Lord has sent so many kids away. Molly, thanks for all you're doing with Vacation Bible School. It's been a very different this year, doing it on Sundays, but it's been very fun to see so many kids so excited, just going deeper in their discipleship and learning who Jesus is, and so we're thankful for that. Well, I get to join now of introducing several of our new members, and with it being summer travels, we're doing it over two different Sundays, so we're going to introduce some of the new members today, and we'll introduce some more in about three weeks on August, uh, two weeks on August 15th. So there's about half of those who have been approved as new members, and there's more in the membership process. So Fu and Ting, Bill and Martha, Slayton, Garrett and Casey, you guys come on, stand across the front here, let everybody see you. You guys come standing up here. So, so this is a fun group, and I'm excited to get to introduce them to you, let you know a little bit about them, a little bit more background. So let me start down here. Then This is Bill and Martha Gibbons. They have been married for 42 years. They have three grown sons, nine grandkids, and she said she'll be glad to set up a table with pictures in the back after the service if you'd like to see more about them. They're both realtors, but Bill also owns a soft drink distribution company, so he is known as the slushy guy to all of his customers there. Bill enjoys golf and running. Martha does all she can to keep his habits going as well. For the past year, they said, asked him, like, what is something you want the body of Gateway to know about you? And they said, for the last year, we've really realized how much we need the body of believers meeting together. And fellowship has been so critical for their walk with the Lord. So they wanted to say thank you to you for welcoming them and for the fellowship you have provided for them. So we're glad to welcome you, Bill and Martha. Welcome to Gateway. So this is, this is Fu Zhao and Ting Li, and so they may be new to you. They're not new to me because I knew them in my 14 years in Auburn before I came as your pastor five years ago. Fu and Ting came from China and lived in Auburn for 11 years. They came to faith in Christ when they arrived in Auburn, and so they became believers. And I was actually part of the church, and we got to see them baptized and discipled and walk with the Lord for all those years in Auburn. So they've been friends for a long time. They moved to Montgomery in 2019. Fu works as a data and analytics at the Alabama Department of Public Health. He is a gardener, fisher, and a hunter. So men who are fishermen and hunters, you've got a new friend right here who'd love to go with you on that. And Ting is an assistant professor in biological sciences at Alabama State. It's a brand new job for her, and we're so excited for that. And she enjoys research in her free time. You see their two boys, Larry and Lucas, and these little boys are miracles. They had a really high-risk pregnancy with them. The Lord really spared them and brought them through that. And they're almost three now, and they'll be headed back to the nursery in a little bit. They wanted you to meet their family as well. So this is Fu and Ting and Larry and Lucas, their twin boys. Welcome to Gateway, guys. 
So we, we have Garrett and Casey. Now, Casey is CJ's daughter. She's already a member, so uh, you, you don't need much introduction for her. You already know her well. But she and Garrett got married about a year or so ago, and so Garrett's now coming to, to, um, to join us for membership. He's from Montgomery. He grew up here. He works downtown at Prevail Union Coffee Shop, so if you like coffee, yeah, we got some excitement there. <laughs> you will see him downtown at Prevail. His hobbies, he enjoys making coffee, so that's a really good thing, right? You know, if you work at a coffee shop and you enjoy coffee. He also loves studying theology. He's a history major at AUM, but is planning to do seminary after graduation, go deeper in his love for theology while drinking coffee at the same time. And so, Garrett, we're excited that you're joining Casey as part of Gateway here. And last but not least, down at the very end here, this is Slayton Edwards. He is a Montgomery native who grew up here with his family, another church here in town. His family's still here in town. He works at Dogwood Media Solutions. He's a computer guy. He is a web developer for Dogwood Media Solutions in his free time. He also enjoys drinking coffee, so we got need to make sure you guys connect over that one. He enjoys hiking, and we've got some good backpacking trips coming. Where's Mike Presley back over there? we got some good ones coming up for you this fall on that one. He enjoys watching movies. So, Slayton, we're so glad that God has brought you to Gateway as well. Thanks, guys. If you want to head back to your seats, just a reminder to all of you guys, the way the membership process here at Gateway works is that once you've been coming and you think this may be where the Lord is leading, you come to a lunch at my house called Discover Gateway. There's one next Sunday right after the service at 12 o'clock, 12.15, once we get in with the worship services. It's just a lunch at my house. We spend around an hour after lunch talking through what we believe, who we are, how to get connected here. And so if you're interested in that, I hope you'll come take part in that. That is next Sunday. We do need you to register ahead of time so we have enough food for that. Last one we had a few weeks ago, we ran out of space and had to close registration. So if you want to come, go ahead and sign up for this. We'd love for you to be part of that. And then from there, we'll explain more about the rest of the membership process. But you can come with no commitment. That is just the first step, and we'd love for you to be part of it. This is CJ, our associate pastor. If you're new with us, he's going to come give us a scripture reading to help us focus on the Lord this morning. We'd all please stand. We prepare our hearts to worship the Lord through song and praise. This is from Psalm chapter 63, verses 1 through 7. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. And it's in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you for your right hand upholds me. Let's worship the Lord this morning.
the Lord, right? We thank him now for his faithfulness.
thankful for his for his faithfulness and now we're thankful for his saving grace when we sing hallelujah what a savior
We just continue to be in a spirit of worship as we bow before your throne. And we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. We bless your name. Reading out of Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. Lord, what a picture. Lord, as I know that there are people here today who feel like that they are in a pit. Lord, in the middle of struggles or whatever their situation, Lord, And we cry out to you in prayer. We cry out to you from our hearts. And Lord, you do incline to us. And you meet us right in that place, Lord. But you don't leave us there. Lord, you do lift us up out of the pit of destruction. Out of the miry clay. And you do set our feet upon a rock. And we thank you that that rock is Christ. That you've set us on Christ. Lord, we thank you that you also put a new song in our mouth. Song of praise to our God. Lord, that our only response to your grace is to praise you and to worship you, Lord. And we do that this morning, and we thank you for the worship we've done in song this morning, and we want to continue to worship you, Lord. We thank you for this team up here that leads us from week to week. Lord, we thank you for bringing Justin to us, Lord, to to lead us uh, as we move forward. And just pray your blessing on this team, Lord, as they lead us. Lord, you'd continue to to bring people onto this team, Lord, you'd continue to use them to lead us before your throne of grace each week. And Lord, we also pray uh, for a fellow pastor and a fellow church, East Hill Baptist Church and Pastor Bruce Moulton, Lord. We pray that the work of the gospel would be moving forward in that church, Lord. We pray that that your work of of unity in their church would be strong, Lord, and that they would be an outreach. Uh, Lord, there would be strong believers in the church reaching out to their community. And Lord, we also pray for Pastor Mark in Haiti, Lord, in, in the situation that Haiti's in, Lord, just as they try to reach out, Lord, with the physical means of food as well as with the gospel, Lord, as there's just so much unrest in Haiti, God, we pray for peace in that country. We pray that your church would be strong and you give perseverance to your saints there. Lord, we also pray for um, two IMB volunteer teams in Rio de Janeiro uh, as they're a part of a team even now that's sending out food distribution. Lord, I pray that as that food goes with the gospel, Lord, the bread of life, Lord, that you would save many uh, during that period. And Lord, we also want to pray today as as we bring our gifts to you, Lord, uh, in our giving, Lord. We pray that you would use it in this church, Lord, in in our community uh, and in missions around the world. And Lord, we thank you for Grady as he brings the word today. Lord, I pray that his word would go forth strongly, uh, Lord, empowered by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray, too, that you would empower uh, our ears, Lord, our hearts to receive 
the truth that you have for us today, Lord, and that we wouldn't be the same when we leave this place. So, Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you, and we commit the rest of our time today to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First John chapter 3. We are in our journey of seeking to be more rooted and grounded in the unchanging Word of God and in what we believe. We're using the New City Catechism to guide us. If you're one of our visitors who's with us and new to what we're doing here, we're doing a whole year long journey, taking a bird's eye view of what we believe in, digging into the scriptures to understand it. If you want a copy of the Catechism that's guiding us, there's some on the table in the back, there's some on the entryway here, some in the resource center right outside the church office. You're welcome to take one for free so you can be studying these and reviewing these at home. And parents, let me remind you, there's a kids' version as well. I hope you're talking about these at the dinner table with your kids. There's a free app on your phone where your kids can be singing these truths and learning it to music. And so I hope you'll be taking advantage of all these resources that we have to help you not just study it on Sunday mornings, but be studying and and being rooted in the Word all week long. Now, on our particular journey through being rooted here, the last three months we've been in a section of it on the law, on the commandments of God. And we wrapped that one up last week. And if you want to go deeper in understanding the commands of God and understanding the law of God, there's a great new resource in the resource center I want to point you to. It's a book from Kevin DeYoung, just simply called The Ten Commandments. You'll find it on the middle shelf out there. It's just a great thing. If you and your family want to go deeper in understanding the Ten Commandments, the relevance for us today, I hope you'll take a look at it. It's a little green book. You'll find it right by the Catechism Books out in the Resource Center. But it's over these last three months as we looked at the law of God and the commands of God. One thing that we've seen over and over each week is how far short we fall, how often we fail to do what God requires, and how often we, we do the very things that God prohibits. And the biblical word for that that we keep seeing is the word for sin. And so for the next several weeks, that's our new topic now, following up with the heaviness of the law. We now get to talk about sin for the next several weeks to make sure we understand what sin is, to understand the consequence of it, but ultimately to be looking at it to point us to the hope that we have in Christ. So today we're on question number 16 from the New City Catechism. Our question is very short and simple this morning. It's what is sin? What is sin? That is our question for the day. Now, as we think about the question, what is sin? It's a word we use a lot. We talk a lot about sin around here. We talk about sin in our everyday conversations. And the danger when we start thinking about what is sin is that we can become so familiar with the word sin and so familiar with the idea of sin, we lose the weightiness of it. And in particular, we can lose the weightiness of it in our own lives. And so there's a second question I want us to ask this morning, because I don't want us just to think of sin in general terms. I want to make sure this is applicable to me and applicable to you. So our question for the morning is, what do I believe about my own sin? What do I believe about my own sin? Not just what is the definition of sin. We need to take it more personal than that. And what do I believe? What do you believe about sin in our own life? We're going to look to God's word this morning for an answer from this. We're going to see in 1 John chapter 3 how John defines sin for us, but also how he helps us keep the right perspective about sin in our lives. So this morning I want us to look at 1 John chapter 3 verses 4 to 6. Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God? Friends, we have such a treasure that God has given us his word for us to read and to know him and to know who we are and to know how to relate to him. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 6 today, and I'm going to be reading for us out of the English Standard Version. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. What a precious gift that is to us that you've shown us 
who you are. You've shown us who we are. You've even explained to us in very clear terms what sin is, so we don't have any question about that. And I pray this morning as we talk about this word that we're so familiar with, I pray you would help us really understand, God, how you view sin. And I pray you'd help us look afresh at sin in our own life, that it might lead us to a place of brokenness, a place of repentance, and a place of living like you would desire us to live for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, since we're jumping from the last three weeks of being in the book of Romans to First John, let me give you just a little background and context so we understand what we're looking at here this morning. This is a short letter, just about five chapters. It was written by John the Apostle, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John that we studied well, almost five years ago. This is much later in John's life that he's writing this. He's writing this to believers in house churches. He's trying to help them with their faith. So he's writing to people in house churches scattered around the region. In particular, in First John, he's writing to guard them from false teaching. There's a danger that's appeared in these early churches to where false teachers have come in to try to lead these young believers astray. Now, there's many ways that false teachers could lead people astray, but one in particular he addressed in this letter is the false teachers were teaching a wrong view of sin. And so John, in his love for these believers, is warning them about the false teachers because there's false teachers' friends then and now who try to convince us of a wrong view of sin. Just as it was back then today, there's people who try to convince us you can be genuine Christians, you can go to heaven when you die, but you can live however you want in this life, and it does not matter. There's false teachers then and now who would say you can have Jesus as your Savior, but not follow Him as your Lord. And friends, that was appealing then just as it is now, because that view of sin demands nothing of us in this life, does it? Demands nothing of us beyond a little ritual where we pray a prayer, we trust Jesus, we're good for this life, and then we go live our lives however we want to, knowing that we go to heaven when we die. And John obliterates that view for these early Christians. He obliterates that view for us as well. That wasn't our text this morning. Look down at verse 7, the very next verse that follows what we are looking at this morning. And notice what John is telling them and why he's telling them this truth. He begins, little children. Now, let's just stop right there. This is not a put down. He's not trying to be mean to them in any way. This is an affectionate term that he's writing to people that he loves and he cares about. He is like a father in the faith. And so he says to them, little children. Notice this, let no one, what's he say, let no one do what? No, no one deceive you because there's a danger for believers then and now to be deceived and be deceived about sin in particular. Because, friends, all around us is a world and our own flesh, and even Satan himself would love to deceive us about the seriousness of sin. And so in the verses just before verse 7, our verses we already read for this morning, John is trying to show us what sin is. He's going to give us a definition. He's going to show us how serious it is. He's going to give us a strong warning to guard us from thinking incorrectly, not just about sin in general, but about sin in my heart and sin in your heart as well. And I pray it will do that for us. It will be something God will use to help us keep a right perspective on our own lives. So let's start with the question then, what is sin? How do we define sin? This word that we talk about all the time, how in the world do we define it? We'll go back to verse 4 this morning because John's going to define it very simply for us. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices a lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, to understand this definition, there's three key words here that we need to, to get. Sin, lawlessness, and practices. All three words are essential for understanding what sin is. Now, first let's start with the word he says here, the practice of sinning. The word sinning or sin in the Greek literally means to miss the mark. So, very literally in Scripture, we see the word sin, it means to miss the mark. Now, I don't know about you guys, our family has been watching the Olympics 
probably too much. We've been really enjoying the time in the evening as a family watching all the sports. It's fascinating to me watching them. When we see the word sin, missing the mark, this is a term that would have been understood outside of Scripture, even at the time that this was written, to be a, a gaming term here in a sense. The, to sin means to miss the mark. There's a standard and you fell short of it. So in archery, like we've been watching archery, and it's incredible to watch those bow and arrows hit the target every time, dead set in the middle. But when they miss it, They've missed the mark. That was a sin. They didn't hit the standard. We've been watching the discus throwing, and the guys spin around and fling the disc, and it's flying through the air. And if it doesn't hit that line, they've missed the mark. Or the guys who do the pole vaulting, and somehow it can fling their bodies up through the air seamlessly across poles. Some of them hit the pole. They miss the mark. So sin very literally outside of Scripture means to miss the mark, to not hit the standard that you were supposed to, to, to hit. Now, when the Bible uses the word sin, that's what it means, but it has a lot more seriousness because the standard that we're missing it's not an athletic standard if you needed to hit so many meters or you need to throw it that far. It's not that. We're missing the standard of the one and only true God. We're missing the standard of the sovereign creator of all. We're missing the standard of the holy judge over all things. And his standard, we've been seeing throughout the last three months in the law, his standard is obedience. But not just obedience. Do you remember there's two words to describe the obedience? They both start with P. We're to have perfect and perpetual Obedience. That is his standard. And anytime we fall short, we miss that mark, it is sin. And so, friends, realize when we talk about sin in Scripture, sin is not defined in terms of the consequences. Sin is not deter- defined in terms of how it hurts you or hurts other people. Sin is always defined in Scripture in terms of how it breaks this holy standards of God. It is God's standards that we miss. It's God's standards that we fall short of. So that's the first word for us here. But if you go back to verse 4 here, there's a second word. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, what does this word lawlessness mean? Now, in one of the very popular translations of the Bible today, you may see it says sin is the breaking of the law. I know what they're trying to do there and communicating that, but that misses the force of this word. Sin is not just the breaking of the law. Sin is not the, oops, I was speeding, sorry, officer, I didn't realize I was going faster than the speed limit. That's not what the word lawlessness means. This is a very strong word that John is using. You only find it in the Scripture in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The word lawlessness means willful rejection of the law. Don't miss this. It's not just breaking the law. It is a willful rejection of the law. You might can define it in terms of active disobedience. It is willful rejecting the law. It is active disobedience. It's an active choice to reject the law. Now, this can happen in two ways. It can happen through willful rejection where you know what the law says, and, so, and you may say, I don't care what the law says, I'm going to do what I want to do. But this rejection of the law, this act of choice, can also happen through willful ignorance, where we choose not to care to even learn what the law says, to not care what God's Word says. We've kind of made up our mind, we've set the path we want to go down, so there's not, we're not going to bother worrying about what God's Word says to even find out, because we've decided what we want to do. So willful rejection or willful ignorance, both is communicating this idea of lawlessness. It's basically describing people who become indifferent to their sin. Don't miss that. This is communicating people who are indifferent to their sin and really do not care what God thinks about that particular area of their life. There's one more key word here in verse 4 we must understand. That's the word practice. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, whoever practices lawlessness. This just reinforces the idea of an active choice. To practice something is to choose to do it. Whereas we don't just fall into sin. We don't just accidentally sin. We practice it. We choose it. We pursue it. Why? Because outside of Christ, we're born under sin. We're born with a sin nature. And our default nature is to make a choice to reject God, to make a choice to disobey anything that God tells us that we really don't want to do, and to, hence to miss the mark. So let's try to bring all those words together. What is sin? Now, in the New City Catechism, it has a long answer for adults, and it has a short answer for kids. 
And even the short answer for kids is still kind of long. So our answer this morning in here is going to be, if, when I was in school, it's called a Cliff Notes version, or maybe it's called Spark Notes now, a, a kind of an abridged version of the longer catechism answer. But I want us to see what sin is. And here's what I want you to see this morning. What is sin? Sin is rebelling against God by rejecting or ignoring his law. And I think we have that up on the screen for us, Josiah. What is sin? Sin is rebelling against God by rejecting or ignoring his law. Do we have that up there? Maybe not. Okay, I'll repeat it for you. Sin is rebelling against God, and how are we doing that? By rejecting or ignoring his law. Now, we need to let that sink in. Sin is rebellion. It's rebellion against God, and it's by rejecting his law or ignoring his law. Again, back to our question this morning, is that how I view my sin? Because if we're honest, I don't think that's how we normally think about the sins in our life. We have such a tendency, even as believers, to be deceived by our own flesh, to be deceived by the world around us, to be deceived by the enemy, and to think our sins really aren't that bad. Like, do we really see, friends, that our sins are rebellion, a rejection of God? I think so often we justify our sins and say, well, everyone does that, or that's private, no one knows, it's not going to hurt anyone, or God doesn't really care about those little things, that's just a small little thing, or that's not as bad as what other people do, or whatever else. We we can justify and come up with so many excuses to not view sin the way God views sin. And in light of all our excuses and self-deception and deception from the world and deception from the enemy, God tells us sin is rebelling against him because we're rejecting or ignoring his law. John is obliterating the lie that we can so easily believe, and he's showing us that tr- sin is not trivial. Sin is not a minor thing. Sin is not something that we're to laugh at. Sin is not okay to tolerate. It is rebellion. But most importantly, it's rebellion against God. This is directed against God himself. Yes, our sin may hurt us, and yes, our sin may hurt other people, but primarily at its core, sin is always seen in relation to God. So if you look even in Psalm 51, when King David is giving his prayer of repentance, he says, though he's hurt many other people, he says, against you and you only, have I sinned? Because our sin is an offense to God because it's rebellion against Him. Friends, our sin is the equivalent of shaking our fist at God, saying, I'm doing it my way, God, not you. We're saying, God, I'm going to do what I want regardless of what you say. Friends, when we think of sin as rebellion, we think of rebellion so often in external terms. And yes, it can be external terms. Our sin can be the rebellion of anger towards other people. It can be yelling at someone or hurting someone. It can be lying. It can be sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. All those are rebellion to God's standard. But friends, we must not miss that sin, this type of rebellion, can be private to where no one knows but God. It can be pornography. It can be drunkenness. It can be lying. It can be stealing things. Our sins of rebellion don't have to be outward to where people know. But lest we miss it, these sins of rebellion can be heart things that no one can even see but God himself. Bitterness, jealousy, unforgiveness, lustful thinking, all these things are ultimately rebellion because we're saying, God, here's your standard and I'm choosing something different for myself. And that rebellion can happen, remember, by either rejecting God's word, that we know what God's word says. God says, forgive them and go, no, I'm not going to do it. But it can also be ignorance of God's word, a willful ignorance where we basically say, you know, I've decided how I want to live my life and I'm not really interested in God challenging me on that. Friends, as we think about that, let me remind us, when we reject God's law, we are rejecting God. Don't miss that. When we choose to reject God's law, we are rejecting God. When we choose to ignore God's law, we are ignoring God. Why? We saw it last week, but it's so important and bears repeating, because the law reflects the character of God. The law was not just some random list of rules. It's not just a guidance for how we're to live. The law was a reflection of the holy nature of the character of God. It shows us who God is. We saw it last week, but I want this text to sink in for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. I want you to see it up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14, 15, and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So he's calling us to put away our sin and to walk in holiness. Now in verse 15, he says, But as he who called you is holy... 
Here's the nature of God, that God himself is a holy God. Because he is holy, you also now be holy in all your conduct. Then he repeats it in verse 16 when Peter writes this. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Friends, the law is a reflection of the character of God. And so if we reject God's law, we are rejecting God. If we choose to ignore God's law, we're ultimately ignoring God because it's his grace gift to us. And so it reflects his character, his will, who he is. And so we rebel against God when we reject or ignore his law. And friends, if we're in Christ, that's not the way that Christ has called us to live. And John makes that very clear. Go back to our text today, 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 5 and see this reminder. This is not how we're supposed to be if we are in Christ. Verse 5 says, You know that he, that's Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Now start with that last phrase, in him there is no sin. Friends, what a reminder that Christ is God and he's perfect. He's holy and everything he's done. That Christ is sinless. Do you realize that means that Christ never rebelled against the will of his Father? Christ never once broke a command of God. He never disobeyed his parents. He never lied. He never thought a lustful thought. You get through all the commands. Christ never broke one of those commands. He followed the will of his Father perfectly, even to the going to the cross in our behalf. The sinless one died in our place. And to do what? Verse 5, you know, he appeared in order to take away sins. That Christ died to take away sins. And so, friends, don't just gloss over that as a nice theological truth. Christ died to take away your sins and my sins. Read it with your name in there. Christ died to take away my sins. Now, what does that mean that Christ came to take away our sins? We've seen it many times before, but let me remind us. When Christ died, he took away sins in two ways. He took away, number one, the penalty of sin. Take away the penalty of sin, that the wrath that God, a holy God, has to pour out against sin, Christ took for us on the cross. So when he's hanging on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's taking the wrath, the punishment you and I deserve. He's taking the penalty we deserve so we can be forgiven. We sang about that today. We sang, we stand forgiven. You're our salvation. We sang praise to the one whose blood has pardoned me. We were singing, we were rejoicing in the fact that the penalty of sin has been taken away from us. And we need to rejoice in that. We need to celebrate that. We need to remember that. But yet so often, friends, I think we forget the second part of that. When Christ came to take away sins, he came away not just to take away his, his, his um, penalty, he came to take away his power over us as well. And when Christ died, and it says here, he came to take away sins. He came to take away the penalty of our sins. He also came to take away the power of sin over us. That in Christ now we are no longer under sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. He has come to change our nature so we do not have to sin anymore. We're not in bondage to our sin. And the problem is, friends, we forget that. So quickly and so easily. The problem is we get so easily deceived and start justifying our sins and think it's okay. It's not that bad. It's just who we are. I can't help it. I don't need to change that. We get to justify things, whether it's yelling at our kids, whether it's impatience with our, our, our wife or our spouse, whether it's whatever. We begin to justify them. We start thinking about all those bad sins people out there do and the bad sins of our own heart. We kind of start justifying and excusing in so many ways. And so John corrects us on this. Look at verse 5. Notice the very first thing he says, You know... Don't forget this, Chris. He's saying, you know this already. Don't miss this truth. Christ died to take away your sins. He came to take away the penalty of your sins. You're free to be take, came to take away the power of sins. You don't have to keep being impatient. You don't have to keep lying. You don't have to keep being whatever. He has come to change you and to make you more like him. For some of you today may, may need that reminder that Christ came not only to forgive you, he came to take away sin's power over your life. It's a beautiful reminder of this truth that really reinforces that that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is a text that you need to memorize and own if you're struggling with a particular sin. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now just stop there. 
I don't know each of your struggles. I know some of your struggles because you asked me to pray for you about it and we've talked about it, but I don't know all your struggles. But whatever you're struggling, whatever area that you're most being tempted in is not unique to you. There's no temptation that's unique to you that is common to others as well. But notice this. We sang this truth earlier. God is what? God is what? We just sang about that. Here it is in Scripture. God is faithful. Now, how is God faithful to us? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, do you just pause right there. This, we need a whole sermon for this text right here. But um, think about this. When you're tempted, God, in a sense, has filtered out the temptations. Nothing is coming to you that you cannot resist by His grace. He's not going to let Satan tempt you in some way that you can't help. If you're in Christ, you're no longer in bondage to sin. He's not going to let anything come your way that you cannot run from with his grace helping you. He will not leave you tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he also provides the way of what? The way of escape, friends. We need to own this text right here. That whenever a temptation comes, there is a way out by the grace of God. Not in my strength. I can't just white-knuckle determination, get through this. But by God's grace, there's always a way out. He always provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We are not bound to our sin anymore. If we're in Christ, there's freedom as the Holy Spirit dwells in us to not be in bondage to our sin. So with that in view, go back to verse 6. Say to verse 5, I mean. Back in verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. He came to appear to take away the power of sin in your life, friends, because in him there is no sin. Well, if Christ came to do this, when we reject it, it's a serious thing. When God says, here is your way of escape, Here's your path out. Here's my grace so you don't have to live in bondage to sin. And we say, nope, I'm doing it my way. That is a serious thing, friends. That is rebellion. Whether it's a small thing like impatience or unforgiveness, whether it's a big thing like anger or dishonesty, whatever it is, when we say, no, God, I know you say there's a way out, but I'm just going to keep being impatient. I'm going to keep lying. I'll keep being dishonest. I'm going to keep being sexually immoral. Whatever it is, we're shaking our fist at God saying, I don't want the way out. I want my way. Sin of any type is rebellion against God. And as such, there's a very serious warning that John gives us. Go down to verse 6 of our text for today. Serious warning here. Notice this. Whoever makes a practice of sin... Or sorry, let me go back up. I'm in the wrong verse there. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now notice the warning here. To make his warning, he contrasts two groups. He says, a group of people who are separated from Christ. This is the last verse, the last phrase of verse 6. No one who keeps on sinning has seen him or known him. He's describing people who we might say are lost, who are not saved, who are not believers, or not followers of Christ. He's describing a person who does not know Jesus. Therefore, they're content with their sin. Therefore, they really don't care what God's word says. They're very happy living the life the way they are. And so they do not seek change. They do not see change in their life because they're very happy with where they are. And the tragedy is there's so many in the churches today who think and who believe the lie that, hey, I'm okay. I prayed the prayer, I trusted Jesus for salvation, I'm okay. And when there's no transformation, no victory over sin, there's nothing that's coming from abiding in Christ. Let me just remind us, when we studied the Gospel of John, we tried to define faith back then. That's another hard word to define, isn't it? We said faith is receiving a radical transformation from above. Friends, if there's no transformation in our life, there's no faith to begin with. So one group in here that he warns us about, if we're separated from Christ... We're going to keep on sinning. There's no, no way to help that. But he gives us a second group here. He says there's those who abide in Christ. So there's some who are separated from Christ, but there's some who abide in Christ. And he describes this group who abides in Christ in the first phrase of verse 6 here as well. He says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now the word abide means to live or to remain. So no one who lives in Christ, no one who remains in in Christ. In other words, no one who is in a real relationship with Christ, a relationship that began with faith in Christ and that continues with day-by-day faith in Christ, a relationship where we trust Him as Savior and Lord. He said those people do not keep on 
sinning. For the true follower of Christ, they do not keep on sinning. They do not keep rebelling against God by rejecting and ignoring his law. Now, we need to be clear here. This is not saying there's sinless perfection, okay? This is not teaching us that in Christ that we're going to be sinless in a life. There's nowhere before we hit heaven that you nor I can become sinless. John has already made that clear. If you go back to John chapter 1, verse 10, I want you to see it up on the screen. In John 1, 10, he says, If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in it. So John is not teaching us sinless perfection. He's made it very clear just two chapters earlier that if we claim that we've reached some state of sinlessness, friends, we are deceiving ourselves and we are making God a liar because God is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you and I will continue to struggle with sin until the day we see Jesus face to face. So what does this mean if you go back to chapter 3, verse 6? What does it mean if we're abiding in him, we're not going to keep on sinning? That phrase is keep on. The word keep on is in the present tense. It's an ongoing pattern. It's describing a pattern of a life of a person who does not care that they keep sinning. There's a person who does not care that they're rebelling against God's word. They're very content with it. They're not seeing grace to change. So instead, he's pointing us to be a person who abides in Christ. It doesn't mean we're sinless, but it means when we sin, we deal with it quickly. When we sin, we run to Jesus in repentance. We have, we're a person who cares about holiness. And when we sin, we're sad about our sin because we don't want to be that way because we, as we just saw Christ died to take away sins from us. We know this is not who we're called to be. And so by God's grace and the Holy Spirit, we desire to be different. That's a person abiding in Christ. And friends, let me just remind us, all of us are one of those two people. Every single one of us in this room is either someone who is abiding in Christ and he's freeing us from the power of sin so we're not continuing in rebellion against God or we're a a person who is lost in our sin, separated from him, and we keep on sinning. We keep on in rebellion because, frankly, we don't care and we can't help it. Now, that raises a last question for us because I know so many of you and I see the fruit of you walking with God and I see God's grace at work in your life, but yet we still struggle with sin. So in light of this definition, if sin is rebellion, if sin is rejection of God's law, and you and I still sin, but we're also followers of Christ who are trying to abide in Him by His grace, what happens when we sin? What happens when those of us who say we love God and have experienced His grace, what happens when we sin, if we're in this group, because it says we're not going to keep on sinning? Well, four things happen when a believer sins, and I want to make sure we understand this. Number one, what happens when you and I, if we're a follower of Christ, sin? Number one, our status before God does not change. Our status before God does not change. Friends, our salvation is not dependent on our perfect obedience. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. If we go back up just a few verses before what we've been looking at. 1 John 3, 2. I think we have it up on the screen for you there. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be is not yet appear, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Notice that first phrase. We are God's children now. Even us who still struggle with sin, we're still God's children now. Friends, our standing before God does not change when we sin. We still belong to God. We're still forgiven because even a sin that I'll commit later today or that you'll commit tomorrow has already been paid for on the cross. Because Christ has paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. It's already covered by the blood of Christ. So our status before God does not change when we sin. We are still accepted by God. We still belong to Him. We're not losing our salvation. When we sin, we still belong to Him. But number two, when we sin, though our status before Him does not change, number two, we grieve God. Because we must not miss that. Our sin grieves God. Because we belong to Him. 
For just as the sin of your children, the sin of your spouse, the sin of your friends hurts you and grieves you, even more so the God who created us and formed us to reflect his glory, the God who made us and redeemed us and who loves us and who has this Holy Spirit actually dwelling within us, who is right here with us, we grieve him when we reject him and choose our sinful path. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians 4.30, this is in the context of, after Paul's written about putting off our old and putting on the new, one of my favorite texts in Scripture, he's going through what walking in holiness looks like. He says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sown for the day of redemption. Because when we choose to reject God's law, we choose to ignore God's law, we're rejecting and ignoring God, and it grieves God when His people turn their backs on Him to choose sin. Christ came to take away our sin, and it grieves the Holy Spirit We reject that, and we do not follow him. So what does God do in that? Our status before him is secure. It's not that he doesn't love us and not he turns his back on us. He loves us. We're still accepted because of what Christ has done. It grieves him. But what happens next, number three? God disciplines us. God disciplines us. Because he loves us so much, he does not leave us in our path of rebellion. God does not leave us shaking our fist at him, saying, No, God, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but I'm going to live like I want right now. God loves us too much to leave us in that place. So in his deep, deep, deep love for us, he will discipline us. He will, through the Holy Spirit within us, convict us of our sin to bring us to a place of repentance. And if we don't repent, he will keep convicting us, and he will keep then bringing discipline to us to bring us to that place of repentance in our life. Hebrews chapter 12, we've read it many times before, but I want you to see it here up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12 is a beautiful, beautiful text that reminds us of what God's discipline looks like. In Hebrews 12, let me jump over here to it, starting in verse number 5 here. It says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And just stop here again. The reminder, it's easy for us as believers to forget things. It's easy for us to forget a right view of sin. It's easy for us to forget how good it is when God in his love pursues us and disciplines us. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved or corrected by him. Verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he, what's next? He disciplines the one he loves. He's not disciplining us in his anger. He's not convicting us because he's mad at us and angry at us. He loves us, and so he disciplines us. Do not regard like the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when we For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children not sons. Let me just stop there. That means if you continue in your patterns of sin and you don't find the Holy Spirit convicting, you don't find God disciplining you to correct you, then you don't belong to Christ no matter what external things you're clinging to here. He goes on in this. He says in the very next verse, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father's spirits and lived? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our what? For our good, friends, the discipline of the Lord is not him angry at us because he loves us and wants his will for us. He wants what's best for us here. And so in his love for us and for our good, he disciplines us and convicts us and chases after us when we sin so that we may share his holiness. There it is again. He wants us to reflect his nature. Now verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. If you think about your childhood, you'll know that to be very true. No one likes to be disciplined at the time. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what happens when we as believers sin? Our standing before God is not changed because Christ has already covered that sin. The sin's already been paid for. But yet it grieves God. 
God grieves over our sin, and yet in his love for us, he will then chase after us and discipline us. And what for? So right here, number four, that we might repent and seek grace to change. That we would repent and seek grace to change. We see that alluded to right here, that it brings this fruit of righteousness, that he's making us more like him. And so number four, what happens when we sin? Our status before God is the same. He, he's grieved over that. He disciplines us. And number four, if we're in Christ, we will repent and seek grace to change. Go back to 1 John, but go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. This is an amazing text to remind us of this beautiful truth of what God is doing in this. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. There it is again. We sang about it today. We've seen other texts. God is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and, this, and also to cleanse us from all unrighteous friends. What hope in this verse, when you and I still sin, that God is willing to forgive us. That's what he's doing. He disciplines us and chases after us because he loves us so much. He's ready to forgive and he's ready to cleanse us for that. So what happens? What's the path of sin in a believer's life? What happens? Our status before God is secure, but we grieve God in his love. He disciplines us and that leads us, number four, to repent and seek grace to change. So let's bring all that together now, friends. So what is sin? Sin, even for us as believers, is rebellion against God. Sin is not something that we should be okay with, that we shouldn't excuse, that we shouldn't justify, whether however small or big it may be. Sin is rebellion because we're either ignoring God's law willfully or we're rejecting what we know God says about it. So the important question for us is that what we believe about our sin? Because we as believers, friends, can be so quickly deceived, so quickly buy into the lie and think it's not that bad, friends. Do we really believe that our sins we struggle with is rebellion against God, friends? Do we grieve over it as such and do we repent of it as such. Let me give you another question at the end today that perhaps might be the question to help us reflect on this. And simply it's this. Are we living a life of ongoing repentance? Are we living a life of ongoing repentance? Because if we understand sin to be rebellion, if we understand the holiness of God, we understand how far short we fall even as believers, and we see God chasing after us when we sin, and we feel the conviction of the Lord, that should lead us to a place of repentance. So my question for you today in light of this definition of what is sin, not just what do you view about your sin, but is it leading you to a place of repentance? By God's grace, friends, are you and I people who are living a life of repentance? Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your grace. When we think about something like sin and we see our rebellion, or we see the way that even this week we've shaken our fist at you and chosen our own way in ways that perhaps no one has seen but you because there are things in our hearts and our minds and our thinking. Perhaps there are things that just our families have seen in the way we've spoken to them in non-Christ-like ways. Perhaps it's something that a co-worker has seen in a bad attitude or something dishonest we've done, Father. Perhaps it's something that's been more visible to our neighbors, to friends at school, to people in the workplace, whatever it is, Lord. You, you've seen it all, and Lord, you see our sin. And yet, Lord, in your love for us, you made a way for us to be forgiven. Lord, I pray for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, that we would not have a wrong view of sin God, that we would not be deceived. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have justified sin in our life. God, forgive us for the ways that we've tolerated, laughed at, and just harbored sin in our life in different ways. But Lord, you see it all. And so I pray, Lord, that we be a people who are a people who practice ongoing repentance, a people who are abiding in you and finding the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us to free us from these sins. Lord, I pray as we go forward this week that we would rejoice in the fact that the penalty of sin has been paid for. Every sin we've committed and every sin we will commit this week has already been paid for in Christ. And I pray we would rejoice in that. But Lord, would you not let us forget this week God, that we are also freed from the power of sin. Lord, if, for, if one of these brothers or sisters has had some stronghold of sin in their life that they've been enslaved to for a long time that just they can't seem to let go of, Lord, I pray this week if they are really in Christ, God, that they would realize that Christ died to set them free from the power of these sins in their life. 
God, I pray they would find new grace, new desires, new conviction to run after you and to find transformation that can only come from your power working within them. And yet, Lord, as we read this text, Lord, it's so sobering because we know that there are people who think they're okay. They think that they belong to you, but there's no fruit, there's no transformation. Lord, if there's anyone who's here or who's watching online who has been putting their hope in something they did in the past when there's no fruit, no change, no faith, no transformation today, God, would you let them see that before it's too late? Would you let them see what it means to really know you, not just a Savior because they don't want to go to hell, but to know you as Lord, the one who's their boss, their master, the all-glorious one that they want to know in a personal, intimate relationship. So Lord, you know where every single one of us is at. You know what you need to do. So we pray, Holy Spirit, in my heart and the heart of these friends, God, that you would do what only you can do, that you would show us those sins that we have been tolerating, that we need to repent of, that you would bring us conviction where we need conviction, whether you bring us hope and encouragement where we need hope and encouragement. So would you have your way in us as you sanctify us and grow us and make us into the people that you desire us to be. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning? And as we sing this song, let's just take this time to really praise God for his strength and his power over the power of sin itself and over the penalty of sin. And even though the presence of sin is still here, God's still freely given us the gift of salvation through Christ to overcome that presence. And so it's only through Christ that we can really do that. And so while we're singing this song, yes, definitely glorify God for that and praise him for that, but also take this time to pray that that God's spirit and his, his presence would continue to be with you and to continue to be with us as the body of believers to glorify him through our obedience. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Praise to 
Yes, Lord, that is our desire this day, to praise you, the one who has saved our soul, the one from whom all blessings flow. Lord, help us not lose sight of that this week. But we confess even our sin and being so short-sighted and seeing your blessings and seeing your goodness and seeing your grace and seeing you at work all around us. So for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, I pray this week that we would see you at work all around us, that we would see all those blessings you pour out on us. And Lord, that we would not just let our praise be limited to this room, but that we praise you all week long. Whether we're standing in the line at Walmart, whether we're at work, at school, at in our neighborhood, out for a walk, exercising wherever, Lord, wherever we are, we, that we would see your blessings, remember our salvation, and we praise you for that. Lord, with that, I pray we'd be a people this week who are quick to repent. Lord, as you and your kindness to us pursue us and show us areas perhaps we've been blind to, I pray we'd be quick to repent and we would then celebrate and praise you for the blessing we have of forgiveness. And that when we confess our sins, God, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for, so much to praise you for. Give us grace to be thankful and praise you all this week. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Gateway family.